Well, good morning, and welcome to Sunrise Community Church. My name is Brett, and I'm one of the pastors here. Happy Easter. Thank you. Let's see how many people are from, like, old school liturgical traditions. He is risen. Wonderful. All right, would you grab your Bible, if you have it with you, and turn to John chapter 20, the gospel according to John chapter 20. If you don't have a Bible with you, you can borrow one from these black chair pockets. If you don't own a Bible, you can keep that one. That's yours. We're turning to John chapter 20, beginning in verse 19. So if you're using one of the black paperback Bibles, that's going to be on page 776. And in the gold Bibles, that's on page 529. John chapter 20, beginning in verse 19. Please follow along as I read. This is God's word. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked, where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Would you pray with me again? Father, we thank you for this precious book, this precious word from you that gives us life because it gives us Jesus. And we pray that you would help us to see and to hear all that you want us to see and hear this morning from your word, that we would hear from you, and that we would believe, and believing have life in the name of Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray, amen. Amen. Well, any one of us, I suspect, could, if you were given a few moments, you could could look back over your life and name the turning points of your life, the, the moments or maybe days when, um, when what happened that day or what happened in that moment just altered the course of your life, maybe, maybe for a few years, maybe for the rest of your life, right? You could, you could look back and, and say those turning points, and sometimes 
We don't even know that we're in one when it's happening. So uh, earlier this month, it was the 10-year anniversary of a friend's wedding. So I, I was thinking back to 10 years ago. I was unmarried. I was in seminary. And I drove back to the town where um, my university had been, where I'd studied, to, to go to this wedding. So I was at the wedding alone, and, and behind me were sitting uh, just a row of, of young women that I'd known in university. I'd known in college. We'd been a part of the same campus ministry. And so after the wedding, I turned around and said hi to the ones that I, that I knew, that I knew the best. Um, and, and there was one young woman there that I didn't say hi to because I didn't really know her very much. And her name was Kim Solari. And later, at the, the reception afterwards, uh, I was talking to a friend, and this friend of mine was saying, hey, do you know who Kim Solari is? And I said, I, I know who she is, but I don't really know her. She said, well, she's, she's going to come study at the same seminary where you are. It'd be great if you could just reach out to her and uh, tell her about what classes she should take, professors to avoid, how to, how to navigate life there. Just that would be really helpful to her. And I thought, well, that's fair enough. So I did. So I reached out, and we got coffee, and then she was looking for a church, and I I invited her to mine and then asked her on a date and then asked her to marry her, asked her to marry me, and then, then we had three children, and eight years later, here we are. Well, she's not here. She's back nursing a baby somewhere, probably. Don't go looking for her. But she is here. I, she, she exists. So anyway, I didn't, I didn't know in the moment at that, at that wedding reception that I was in one of the turning points of my life. I, I didn't realize what was going on. But sometimes we know whether it's the death of a parent or the birth of a child or um, it's the, the end of a career, we know that, that after this moment, everything is going to be different. Everything's changed now because of this, this moment in time. And the passage we read contains encounters with Jesus, Jesus with his disciples, that they knew in the moment, this is one of the turning points of my life. Everything's going to be different after this because of what's happening right now in this encounter with Jesus. They, and they, the reason they knew that, the reason they knew everything was going to be different was because the day before these things happened, Jesus had been dead. He was a corpse wrapped in linen in a tomb behind a rock. And now he's standing right in front of them. The resurrection of Jesus from the dead is one of the central facts of his life. All four Gospels record it. And it, it explains something that otherwise would be incredibly puzzling, which is, what happened to these disciples? Because if, you, if you've been with us the last couple months, we've been working our way through the last night of Jesus' life, through his last supper with his disciples, his parting words to them. And if you watch the disciples in those chapters, they are not very impressive people, right? They're confused. They're always asking questions just that just show they have no idea really what's going on. And they're totally deluded. Like Peter has just told Jesus, I'm gonna, I will die for you. I'll never let anything happen to you. And then, you know, just hours later, he denies that he even knows him. They're confused and they're deluded. They, they end up being just total failures, right? Jesus is arrested in the garden and his disciples, they just leave him alone. They just, they flee and let him be arrested and tried and crucified. And yet within weeks of Jesus' death, these same men are gonna be out in the streets of Jerusalem proclaiming that he's the Lord that he is, he is risen from the dead, he's ascended into heaven, that life is only found in trusting in him. And they kept preaching that message until most of them had been killed for it. And the question is, what happened to those guys? What happened to those disciples? What turned those bewildered, fearful men into convinced and courageous witnesses? This happened. 
the resurrection. They encountered the risen Lord and they were transformed. The resurrection of Jesus has the power to make people new. And we want to see this morning how it happens. So we want to see that the resurrection of Jesus transforms people by convincing the mind, assuring the heart, and compelling the life. And we'll look at all three in this passage. First, the resurrection convinces the mind. Now, now one of the most striking things about this passage, as you read it, is how none of Jesus' followers believed it right away. All of them took convincing. Everybody needed evidence. Nobody just believed that Jesus had risen from the dead. Remember that Jesus had repeatedly told his disciples that he would be killed and rise from the dead. He even told them it would happen on the third day. And yet when it happened, when Jesus came out of that tomb, nobody was waiting for him. Nobody had gone in expectation and said, all right, this is the day. Let's see it happen. There was nobody there. They weren't looking for him. And Mary Magdalene, Mary Magdalene went early on Sunday. She went, she went to finish preparing his body for burial. And when she got there and found it empty, she thought it had been robbed. So you can see that um, earlier in the passage, not in the part we read, but in chapter 20, verse 2. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they've laid him. She thought that he, the grave had been robbed. And then Peter and John go, and they, and they look inside, and they see the tomb is empty. They see the grave clothes lying there, the face cloth folded up and wrapped. And John said, that was when he began to believe. He began to believe that Jesus had risen from the dead, but it wasn't until he saw the evidence, the empty tomb, the grave clothes. He wasn't there. And then Peter and John, they go back home. Mary stays behind, and then Jesus actually appears to Mary. She sees him. He talks to her, and she goes and tells the disciples, I have seen the Lord that he's spoken to her. And so these disciples, whom Jesus, he had told them he would rise from the dead, they know the tomb is empty. Mary said she sees him. So you would think now, at this point, now surely they're going to go out, now they're going to go looking for him, right? That's, and that's enough evidence, isn't it? They're going to go looking for Jesus. Where are they? Look at verse 19. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them. They they knew the tomb was empty. Mary had seen him. They had all this evidence, and they were locking themselves in rooms because they were still afraid of anyone knowing that they were the followers of Jesus. They still don't believe until Jesus appears in their midst and says, Peace be with you. And look at verse 20. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples, then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. They didn't believe until Jesus came physically before them, showed them his hands inside, and, and said, it's me. I'm really here. I'm, I'm not a ghost. I'm alive. They didn't believe until they had some evidence. Thomas, though, Thomas, of course, was missing. He was, we don't know where he was. He was somewhere else. And so Thomas comes back, and, and now Mary has seen him. The other ten apostles have seen him. Surely Thomas is just going to take their word for it, Right? What does he say in verse 25? So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. He says, for me, I can't, even seeing isn't enough for me. I'm not going to believe until I touch him, until I touch him for myself. There are some people today who have this idea though they might not say it out loud, that the reason why Christianity spread so fast, the reason it just exploded in the first century, is because people back then, they were just more gullible than we are. 
right? They, they believed in magic and superstition. So, of course, for them, the resurrection, that would be easy to believe. They don't know what we know about the science of death and what oxygen deprivation does to the brain and how the body begins to break down. They, if they knew what we know, they wouldn't have been so... Listen, people in the first century knew just as well as you do that dead people stay dead. They weren't looking for him. They weren't looking for him to come back. Even Jesus' followers weren't holding out hope. They took convincing. So why does John show us this? He wants us to see that the early disciples, they weren't easily convinced. But when they had seen him, they were sure. They weren't, they weren't gullible, superstitious people just willing to believe anything someone told them. They were skeptical they were fearful, and they were totally won over by repeated encounters with the risen Jesus, and it utterly transformed them. Now, we can see this transformation most, most obviously with Thomas. Remember, Thomas said so cavalierly, I'll never believe. But then eight days later, which must have been a long eight days for Thomas, they're locked in again, and Jesus appears. Look at verse 27. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. And put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And so Jesus shows Thomas that even though he wasn't present eight days before, he heard everything Thomas said. He heard exactly what Thomas said are the conditions of his belief. He knew Thomas's doubts. He knew everything about him. And he appeared and said, see it, touch it. Everything you need is right here. And Thomas answered him, look at verse 28. My Lord and my God. Thomas was transformed. When he was convinced that Jesus was raised, what did he realize? He realized it's all true. Everything he said is true. He is who he says he is. He said he's the son of God. Come down to give his life for the life of the world. And it's true. It says he's the king. Come to gather his people. And he is. He said... Jesus had said, John, or Thomas had heard him, before Abraham was, I am. He had claimed to be the eternal God in human form. And Thomas realizes, if he's back from the dead, then it's true. It's all true. I can't hold myself back from this person any longer. I have to give myself to him entirely. From this moment on, he's going to be my Lord and my God. The resurrection convinced him. It convinced him of everything. It's convincing to the mind. So are you convinced? Maybe you'd say, well, sure, if Jesus came and stood before me, I'd be convinced too. Well, sorry. Jesus has opted not to remain on earth for 2,000 years so that everyone who doubts can prod him with their finger to make sure that he really rose. He finished his work. He ascended to his Father in heaven. But that doesn't mean he's asking for blind faith, faith without reasons, faith without evidence. He's given us evidence, eyewitness evidence. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. John wrote this down for you. He said, you know, we didn't believe it either. But then we saw him, and we touched him, and we ate with him, and we knew that it was true. We know it's true, and you can know it too. It's just Look back at chapter 19, verse 35. This is, this is John speaking about the, the crucifixion, but this is his heart in the whole gospel. He says, He who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth 
that you also may believe. John said, I know it's true. I saw it with my eyes and I wrote it down so you can know it too. John saw something utterly convincing to him and he wants you to be convinced too. The gospels are eyewitness records. So why, why wouldn't you listen to what they have to say? Now, maybe you think the Gospels were changed over time, like what was originally the story of a good teacher has sort of been altered over time, now it's this sort of supernatural comic book story. Okay, fair enough. What parts of it were changed? When were they changed? What's, what's your evidence that this isn't what they wrote? Or maybe you just don't buy the idea of miracles. All right, why not? If there's a God who made the world, couldn't he sometimes exempt himself from the laws of nature to make himself known? John doesn't expect blind faith, but he expects us to look at the evidence and use our minds and think about what is true. When I was in seminary, I went through a season of what was, frankly, terrifying doubt. As part of our curriculum, part of our study, and it was a valuable part, we had to read writings from people who don't believe the Bible and who don't believe in the resurrection. We had to know the best arguments against it. We had to weigh the evidence for ourselves. And I, I began to wonder, what if it's not true? What if this was just made up by somebody? What if, what if there's nothing to this except just the opinions of people? Well, I, I'm staking my career on this. I'm training to be a pastor. I'm staking my life on this being the truth. If this isn't true, what is? And I felt like I was just sliding down a slope towards a cliff, and I had no handhold. There was nothing I could grab onto. But then something stopped me, and it was from John, same writer, but his first letter, 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. He says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, The life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life. And I remembered the Bible isn't just somebody making these outlandish claims about the world. The Bible is a story of history. It's things that really happened. John is saying eternal life became manifest. It became a person. God became a man, and we touched him. And we saw him, and we walked with him, and we ate with him. We lived life with him. We know that this is real. It's a claim about history. These people saw Jesus. They touched Jesus. They saw him alive after death. They became utterly convinced that he was God. And that's why we have a Bible. The Bible tells us the truth so we can believe without seeing. Right? They got to see it. And we believe without seeing. That's what John or Jesus had in mind in verse 29. This is what Jesus said to Thomas. He said, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And he's talking about us, those who would hear what the Bible has to say, who would read the Gospels and trust that it's true and have life through knowing Jesus. Maybe you don't believe it yet, or you're not sure if you believe it, and that's fine. But take a page from Thomas's book, right? Thomas, Thomas said, I'll never believe. But eight days later, Thomas was still there. He was still meeting with the disciples. He was still in the room. He was listening to what they experienced. He was asking his questions. He didn't just give up and walk away. If you don't believe, 
Keep asking your questions. Keep coming on Sundays. Jesus was so tender with his disciples. Jesus, when he came into that locked room, when, when he had appeared to Mary, said, go tell my brothers I'm risen, and they were in that locked room, he didn't come in and say, what's wrong with you? He didn't come in and say, why aren't you looking for me? He came in and said, peace be with you. Look at my hands. Look at my side. Believe. He wanted to help them believe, and he wants to help you believe too, so ask him. So the resurrection convinces the mind. Secondly, the resurrection assures the heart. We already saw that the first thing Jesus said to his disciples after he rose from the dead and appeared in that room was, peace be with you. And he says it three times. He says it in verse 19. He says it in verse 21. He says it again at the end of verse 26. Peace be with you. So what does that mean? Well, peace be with you was a, it was a traditional greeting that Jews still use today, Jewish people still use today. So on the one hand, it could be that Jesus was just saying, hi. But almost nobody thinks that's what he was saying. He would, Jesus chose his words carefully. This is the first thing he was saying after he was risen from the dead. And he says it three times. Peace be with you. There's more to it than just hello. And twice when he says it, he immediately follows it by showing them his hands and his side. Peace be with you. Look at this. And peace, peace was one of the main things he promised his disciples that night before he died in the, in the passages we've been working through together. In chapter 14, verse 27, he says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Chapter 16, verse 33, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. So he had promised them he's going to give them peace, and now he's appeared before them, showing him his hands inside and saying, Now peace is with you. Now I'm giving you my peace. So what is this peace? Well, peace in the Bible, it's more than just not being at war. It's more than just kind of having a calm heart. Peace in the Bible, and the Old Testament word, the Hebrew word is shalom. It means total well-being, total flourishing. It means total wholeness. When you have peace, all is well. All is well with your life. All is well with your soul. Peace is the life humanity had in the Garden of Eden, right? In, in the Garden, we had peace with God, right? There was, there was no hindrance between man and God. We had total intimacy with him. And there was peace between the people in the Garden, right? They were naked and not ashamed. There was peace. They had peace with creation. They never had to fight to get stuff to eat. There was no illness. There was no death. There was no danger. They had peace with themselves. There was, they had no guilt, no fear, they were total peace, total well-being. And all of that was shattered by sin. Humanity had to leave the garden. They were now hiding from one another in shame. Creation fought against them. Their hearts were never at rest. And Jesus is saying, look at my wounds. Look at my hands pierced for you. Look at my side that a spear was driven through for you. Look at what I've done to purchase peace for you. He said, I've purchased peace with God. Your sin, you're living for yourself. You're totally ignoring God. You're, you're just crippling self-centeredness that separated you from God. I've, I've died to get rid of that. I've died to make peace with God. God is holy. He must punish sin. His judgment was against you, but I've taken his judgment. I've died for sin so that you can come home, so that you can have peace with God. Isn't that what Isaiah 53 said Jesus would do? 
but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. And Jesus has purchased our peace with one another, right? Everyone who trusts in him becomes part of a new family. The church, the people of God, marked by supernatural love for one another, right? Remember what he said in John 13? By this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. He makes peace among us, and he makes peace with creation. His death frees us from the fear of our own death because he rose, we know we're going to rise too. And one day when we rise, we're going to rise into a renewed and a perfected creation, like the garden again, no heartache, no struggling to make ends meet, no paralyzing regret, no cancer, no chronic illness, just peace. And he's purchased peace with ourselves. I mean, think about these disciples. We know that they were afraid, right? They had the doors locked. They were afraid. And we can guess that they were really feeling guilty, too. Think, think about what has just happened for these disciples, right? They abandoned the best friend they ever had at the time when he, they, he needed them most, right? He, he was being arrested. He was being taken away, and they just left him to save themselves. Peter denied three times that he even knew him, and they knew that they would never get a second chance to be the friends they should have been. They had to have been full of guilt, and then suddenly Jesus is there standing among them saying, Peace be with you. I'm not holding this against you. I've taken care of your guilt. You never need to be afraid again. Do you have this peace? Do you know? Do you know that God is your loving Father? That when He looks at you, He doesn't see your failures, He sees the perfect performance of His Son. Do you know that you're not alone in this world, but you have a family of believers to walk with you through everything? Do you know that all your sufferings in this life, as real as they are, are only temporary, and that in the end, all shall be well? Do you know it? Do you have a heart that can rest even when you fail, even when life is out of control, even when family and work is overwhelming? Do you have peace? The disciples received peace through encountering the risen Lord. They were afraid, but then he showed them his hands inside, and John tells us, verse 20, then the disciples were glad. You remember maybe from Adam's sermon last week where Jesus had told his disciples that they would have sorrow, but their sorrow would give way to joy. And this is when that happened, when they saw him, when they knew he was alive forever. Their fear and their guilt and their sorrow turned to joy. The resurrection isn't just convincing to the mind, it's assuring to the heart. It brings peace. It brings joy. It drives out guilt. It drives out fear. Peace isn't something you just achieve in yourself. It's a gift from the risen Lord. It's available to everyone who believes. Do you have it? The resurrection convinces the mind. It assures the heart. And finally, the resurrection compels the life. Now, these disciples, when they encountered Jesus, it didn't just change their thinking. It didn't just change the way they feel about their life. It changed the whole ambition of their lives. It compelled them. It mobilized them. It motivated them. It drove them towards a goal. Look at verse 21. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. 
So why, why did the Father send Jesus into the world? He sent him into the world to save the world, right? Remember what he said, what, what John said earlier in his gospel? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. So God sent Jesus to save the world. And the world is saved. The world receives life through trusting in Jesus. But how are they going to trust in him without hearing about him? They need witnesses. They need people to tell them who he is and what he's done so they can believe. And so Jesus is sending these disciples out as witnesses. But they're going to need some help. And he had promised the night before he died to send that help. In chapter 15, verse 26, he said, But when the helper comes whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me, and you also will bear witness, because you've been with me from the beginning. He says, I'm going to send the Spirit to tell you about me, to remind you all I've said, and then I'm going to send you out to give that message to the world. I'm sending you as witnesses, which is why he does what he does in verse 22. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. You can't do this without him. Receive the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit didn't come in his fullness until Pentecost, after Jesus had ascended into heaven. But he he couldn't remind them of the mission without reminding them of the power they're going to need, that he's going to send the Spirit, and the Spirit's going to make everything work. And he doesn't just tell them about the power he's sending them, but he's also telling them what the message is about. Look at verse 23. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now, what does that verse mean, right? That that verse does not make sense immediately upon looking at it. But if you think about it for a minute, you can realize what it doesn't mean. What that verse can't mean is that we get to decide who God forgives. Like, man, Rachel's been a really good friend to me. Her sins are forgiven. That means God has to forgive her. But I really don't care for Danny So I'm withholding forgiveness from him, and that means God won't forgive him either. We know that can't be what it means, right? So what does it mean that if you you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. It means that we get to be the ones who speak to people about their forgiveness or their lack of forgiveness before God. We get to be the ones who confirm whether their sins are forgiven or not. Now this, 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 Let's put it into life, right? You have a friend, and you guys have been friends for a while, and you have a good relationship, they trust you, and they confide in you that they know they're guilty. They have guilt, and they know it, and they don't know what to do about it, and you get to be the one who speaks to them about the forgiveness of God. You get to say, God has done something about guilt. God sent his son into the world to die for sin, So that sinners can be counted righteous and belong to him forever. You can be forgiven through trusting in Jesus. If you trust him, your sins are forgiven in his name. Or alternately, I mean, not everyone's going to believe, right? You're going to have friends who are going to say, I hear what you're saying. I just just don't buy it. I I don't see my need. I don't believe what you believe. And you can say, that's fine. Ask me all your questions. That's fine. But just so you know... There's only one way to be forgiven, and it's through trusting in Jesus. And if you don't trust in Jesus, then right now, your sins are not forgiven. 
I hope that you will trust in him so that you can be forgiven, but this is the way it happens. That's the message God is sending us into the world with, the message of forgiveness given freely and forever through trusting in the Lord who died and rose for us. The resurrection compels us to go speak. Jesus is sending us. He's saying, take this message of forgiveness into the world. Take it to the office. Take it to the gym. Take it to the playgroup. Take it to the neighborhood. Take it to family dinner for Easter. And that's scary, which is why we need the Spirit's help. But what we carry is great news. Have you experienced it? Do you know that your sins are forgiven? Do you know that Jesus, when he cried out on the cross, it is finished, meant that your sins will never be able to condemn you because he's taken them away forever? Do you know it? Do you know that God is your father forever, that not even death can separate you from his love, that you will live with him forever in a new and perfect world? Do you know that? Jesus rose so that you can know. Look at verse 30. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your tenderness with us that that these disciples who had heard you say that you were rising, who didn't come looking for you, that you came looking for them so that they would know that they have peace with God. I thank you that the life you offer, you purchased with your death. I thank you that you live even now and you forgive everyone who trusts in you. I thank you that, that my sins are forgiven, that though I'm not perfect, though I still fail, that Right now, I know that I am forgiven and I have life in you and that God is my Father and that I will live forever. And I thank you that that is the experience of every Christian in the world that we can know that nothing, not even death, can ever separate us from your love. Jesus, thank you for purchasing peace for us through the cross. And I pray that you would help us to to know more and more in our lives the peace that you bought and that we would trust in you and walk with you and rejoice in the life you gave us by your death. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.